Hi, I'm cutting in at the start here to issue a bit of a content warning. A major plot point in this chapter revolves around uh, the threat of sexual violence toward a minor. Uh, we're going to talk about it uh, and kind of acknowledge that it happens. Uh, just fair warning, if you think that that is a thing that will make your day worse to hear about, um, I would encourage you to listen with caution. Uh, here we go. Let's uh, get into this chapter because it's a pretty good chapter and a really good book. Welcome to Radio Free Midworld. It's a podcast about the Dark Tower series of books by Stephen King. My name is Cole Ross, and today I'm joined by Autumn Greer. Delighted as always. And by Patrick Smith or Patty Smith. I, I also, my voice cracked when I said your name again. I know. I'm just, I'm just that captivating. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've got the, uh, the, the whole crew of redheads together again. <laughs> yeah. yeah we're gonna we're gonna blaze through this now we're going to approach it uh at a leisurely pace because we have taken this very exciting chapter uh, and broken it into two pieces that's right we're talking about bridge and city the uh the climax um uh, or one half of the climax rather of the wastelands continuing book three of the dark tower um so last time we uh, kind of saw our quartet as they found their first piece of human civilization. And the people there, the people of the town of River Crossing, were pretty, were pretty cool. You know, they gave them food. They gave them a, a, a necklace, you know, gave them jewelry and stuff. Um, but most of all, they were just happy to see that gunslingers were still around. Uh, and afterward, they kind of compared their notes and figured out what it meant to be part of a quartet, to be this band of people bound together by fate and by duty. Uh, now uh, we're going to see them get to this city that's been in the distance ever since they got out of the forest uh, that they were in at the start of the book. Um, now I'm going to ask this question again. This kind of backfired on me last time because it was a little bit of a, a little bit of a slower chapter. But um, I'll start with you, Autumn. What, what made you jump on this uh, particular section? Uh, I guess I just like Ritalin. I mean, this is where we start talking about riddles. We we share a few great riddles, and uh, I think that this is actually probably one of the more funny sections of the book. I mean, the the first half of the book, it's it's great. We're learning more about Roland's world, but at this one, we start to I don't know see Eddie cut up a little bit, see Roland get irritated with him, and then again, I love a good riddling. Yeah, if there's anything that holds that holds your attention, it's riddling. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Patty? Uh, I also enjoy a riddle, uh, but my uh, number one reason for jumping on this part of the book is uh, it's your boy Gasher. <laughs> oh, I do, I do like my Gasher, and we'll get to him later. Yeah. Oh boy, what an unpleasant character. God, isn't he great? Yeah. When I was going through and <laughs> highlighting stuff, there were so there were some stuff that it's like, oh, that's that would be way too horrifying to relay on the show. <laughs> it, it was like it's like a, a really pleasing, not pleasing. It's like a really good. Um, contrast to what just happened in the last chapter all the wonderful mm -hmm. just wonderful nice old people yeah. and then just complete tonal shift i love it yeah it's uh it's it, it's country mouse city mouse and i don't care if i die mouse <laughs> 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 but yeah let's uh let's let's kind of get started because we have a little bit of uh, a little bit more downtime before we get to the real action uh and peril of this chapter um, as they are, you know, in the plains between River Crossing and Ludd, you know, the gigantic city off in the distance. 
Um, it's about three days after we last left them. Um, the first site that they see as the road starts getting a little bit rougher and as, uh, you know, population or what used to be population uh, starts getting a little bit denser uh, is, is straight up a downed Nazi fighter jet. Or I'm sorry, not sea fighter jet, as they say later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Roland. <laughs> I love I. I loved in this scene that Jake is the one that's able to identify the plane because mm-hmm. he did some kind of book report or something on fighter jets. Yeah. Like when I was Jake's age, I think I did a book report on Florida oranges. And I think most of the information came out of like off of the back of a carton of orange juice. And Jake's <laughs> able to just like pull out like, oh, that's a double knot ought fighter. And like he didn't have the history channel. How does he know? Well, he did. He did go to Piper. I mean, oh, true, true. <laughs> <laughs> Money doesn't get you into Piper. Knowledge of Nazi fighter jets gets you into Piper. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew kids like that who who could identify, like, mostly it was, like, dinosaurs or trains, uh, roughly around that age, you know? Yeah, um, you get kind of, you get into a theme. And, like, for me, it was uh, probably ancient Greece. Like, oh, if you yeah, ask me yeah. a question about Hercules, I, I'm, I'm up for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I loved reading that stuff at school. That was my favorite, like, chunk of lessons we did at, I think it was year six when I was about 11. We yeah. did ancient Greece. It was amazing. But Patty will name all 12 labors in order. Um, well, if you guys need an orange fact, just let me know. How many segments are in the usual orange? Whoa, 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 whoa. That wasn't on the carton. Back oh. it up. <laughs> yeah. No, I forget what it was for me. It was probably uh, the, the, the bosses from Mega Man games. Um, I've, I've wasted a lot of time. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, Jake's kind of on point, and everybody's theory about why there happens to be this, you know, late 30s, pre-WW2 German fighter jet, and they see the swastika on it, um, is that, hey, this might have been, uh, like, it, it could have gone through, like, the Bermuda Triangle or something similar to that, you know, um, calling, calling together these, uh, you know, strange connections these doors right and of course we have eddie going uh with his uh rod sterling impression about the roll into zone <laughs> yeah i do like this bit yeah i, I like that they're, they're <laughs> just keeping the parallels going between the worlds you know they, they kind of mention every now and again like oh that stuff can come through and yeah. bermuda trans is probably a good place that will come through i also like that jake identifies the ship not by the nazi sign but like <laughs> the shape of it because yeah. he goes out and i think they put a sticker or like a, a thing over the top yeah, they and had he like climbs their... up and he peels it off and's like, "Yep, knew it, knew it, knew it." <laughs> they had their own insignia over it, which was a hand holding a lightning bolt, which is also a little bit Nazi esque, I think. Um, and pretty, that, pretty metal too, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> for sure. Um, and that that logo probably was associated with uh, somebody who we heard about in the previous uh, the previous chapter, David Quick, this you know legendary bandit lord who died by falling out of the sky. Um, and we know that because the massive mummified body inside of this, uh, who Susanna says they must've had to have greased him up to put him into the cockpit, um, uh, is presumed to be the body of David Quick. Now, last episode, I think I erroneously, um, said that Lord Perth was the one who fell from the sky when in reality, Lord Perth was just a, um, was a, an analog of the David and Goliath story, um, I was I was confused because a character we're going to we're going to meet later who is a relative of David Quick gets real sensitive about the Lord Perth comparisons um, in his uh, in his family. So that's how I got messed up. Isn't he a, re- a relative of Lord Perth? Isn't he like a distant descendant? Maybe I I haven't yeah. I haven't I haven't gotten that far on my reread for this. So it could it could very much be the case. To the concordances. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, that that would that would take too much time, and I don't want to. I don't want to make you guys wait. It, it would be edited out, but that would be that'd be inconvenient. Yeah, um, Autumn, you were going to say something. I just got kind of a like Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox vibe from this because, like, I'm not a skeleton whisperer, but I mean, like, skeletons mostly look like they're the same size. Like, this skeleton had to be ridiculous. Yeah, I, I mean, like. like they, they can tell from the finger bones, like, oh, those must have been some massive paws on that guy. And I, I again, like rolling the skeleton whisperer, just um, <laughs> finding out everything the skeleton can tell him. Of course, using the bones to uh, to generate his, uh, his 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 prophecy. A lot of mummy talk in this uh, in the, in, the, in this series, but also in this uh, chapter, we're gonna get we're gonna get a lot of that there. Yeah, have either of you ever been near like a fighter jet and seen the seen the cockpits and stuff? Um, no. Briefly, when I was younger, on a trip yeah. to a museum, it was it was kind of yeah, small. Yeah, that's I, what I remember. Just very small looking. Yeah, I live about an hour away from the uh, from the Wright Patterson Air Force Museum. Um, and here a couple of years ago, went up there, and they have a cockpit that you can get into. Um, and it's, you know, like I think it's like a Vietnam era fighter jet or something. It is a tight squeeze. So I'm just I'm having a lot of fun picturing this guy in a. Uh, I, I, who knows if it would have been a jet? I'm not actually sure. <laughs> Sticking out of the top of it, um, being sent to fly without uh, without actually knowing it. it. It is like both comic and tragic at the same time. You know what might have happened, but Ooh. see, yeah. I can see like the size, like you know, like Andre the Giant. Yeah, like someone that big in a fighter jet. He'd look like he was in a cart game, just sort of sticking out of the top. Oh yeah, <laughs> just doing sweet oh. power slides and throwing bombs at people. Oh, of course. All I can think is uh, it's it's too bad that this plane didn't have an airbag if the way he died was cracking his head on the windshield, huh? Oh, geez. Yeah, Ooh. that's <laughs> that, that, that is a detail. <laughs> and they also noticed that uh, the, the plane didn't burn up. You know, it's just it's there and entirely, uh, entirely intact. So the, what they presume is, oh, he ran out of fuel when he was in the air. And this was just how he landed was straight down. And that's why you always wear your seatbelt. Yep. That's a lesson. Blood on the, blood on the bridge. <laughs> I, about said, I about said blood on the asphalt, but that is the actual name of the thing. But yeah, they they, they roll over this, and again, much like uh, hearing "Hey Jude," um, or having you know a, a, another version of the David and Goliath story come across, or the Icarus myth. Um, here we are with these connections, and we're going to see even more of them a little bit later on. Um, and this is where we get to the riddle scene. Uh, where basically out of nowhere, Roland decides to occupy everybody by putting out this riddle. And we get this long kind of discussion about how important riddles were um, to Gilead and to Roland's, Roland's youth. Now, Autumn, you were really excited about this. So, like, um, g- give me the rundown of what happens here. Well, they're sitting there. Um, they they run through. They talk about the book that Eddie had brought back from the world where he's got riddles with the pages out. Um, they start talking about good riddles. And, you know, I might have oversold it at the beginning to start with. <laughs> I'm actually not good at riddles. I just like them. Right. Like, I, I've probably read this, this book about 10 or 15 times over the last however many years. And every time, like, even when Roland runs through a riddle, I'm like, shit, was that the river or the clock? <laughs> and I, I know the riddles. I've read the book, but I still am so bad at riddling that I, I'm like, oh, was that, was that the stages of man? I don't know. Jesus. Like, yeah. but. But um, ooh, Roland gets a little little tense about my my friend Eddie making some some riddles that Roland does not think are are good. He thinks they're dumb. 
Right, because, you know, Roland's going out there and saying these, and riddles and jokes have a lot in common, right? Especially jokes that are, uh, you know, predicated on asking a question. And so Eddie, you know, he goes back to his days on the uh, on the, on the basketball courts of Brooklyn and thinks, okay, well, let, let me drop some dead baby science on him. Or let me ask him, you know, a riddle whose who's punchline is Moby Snot. Uh, like, I forget, like, oh, what's big and green at the bottom of the ocean or something like that. Like, things that are nonsensical, right? And Roland's whole point about the riddles is that they were meant to be a test kind of of somebody's sanity, but also of their just ability to think around corners was what he said. Um, and like he is really upset that Eddie is making a mockery of this kind of sacred practice, um, you know, from his civilization, like the one thing that he is kind of carried forward. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Like and these these like Eddie's jokes are completely like aimed at roland not being able to get them right because roland doesn't think even closer like that you know he he tries to delve the, the secret truth and we see it later where they they're trying to sort of argue you know they're discussing riddles later and he's he's overthinking things far too much uh and the fact this is just like a dumb dead baby joke answer like yeah of course you're gonna be upset <laughs> This is my culture, and you've appropriated it. <laughs> yeah, well, and and also you're setting up something that he can never, you know, he can, he can never answer, right? Yeah, exactly. Ro- <laughs> Roland definitely gives me this vibe, like the. Have you guys seen that meme with the the kid with the katana? And it's like, well, while you were out partying, I studied the riddle. <laughs> <laughs> while, yeah. while, while you were having premarital sex, I, I mastered the the verbal puzzle and the double think. Yeah. You know, yeah, def- defended the blockchain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's um, exactly. it's re- it's re- for Roland. This has to be like being stuck out in the woods with Jim Carrey in Ace Ventura. Like <laughs> he, he is just so palpably irritated with him. Like you're out there with um, Jim Carrey in the mask, and you're like, just, just, just stop, just stop. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like eddie gets kind of steamed he's a little bit disgruntled at the fact i think that's actually the word that stephen king u- uses he gets disgruntled at the fact that like this did not get a warm reception whatsoever because I th- you know and i i tend to agree with eddie on this uh jokes can serve a similar role you know they do show that you are thinking around corners the problem is it's for the teller not the uh not the responder right so they're they're similar things but different enough and you know, I, this this is kind of a spoiler, but like this is this foreshadows something that is so amazing about the next book, and the fact that they laid the seeds for that here in Roland and Eddie's different approaches to this, you know, seemingly trivial act, I think is is some really good kind of like story crafting. What I really like about this section as well, and you guys touched on it just a little bit in the last episode. But this is the point in, I assume, any quartet where, you know, you've gone through the first few weeks and everybody's best friends and we're making fires together. (laughs) And the little things that people do start to get under your skin. And Roland is so irritated with Eddie. Uh, Roland's so preachy to everybody that everybody's a little bit irritated with (laughs) Roland. Like, um, Jake, that's not how you start a fire. Like, everybody's just, yeah, on their last nerve a little bit. The honeymoon is over. They're all ha- <laughs> all of the uh, glow of having been alive, you know, of having survived what they did is kind of settling down. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this they've is their one good meal. It all gets worse from here. <laughs> yeah, they're back to their burritos. <laughs> this sucks. Um, <laughs> bring on those elves. 
Um, <laughs> so uh, put a pin in that and remember how important riddles are um, because that will become a factor later on. Um, we jump forward a couple more days uh, to a scene that I think is incredibly effective, but also very disturbing, which is when they're continuing down the road and they hear some bees and they think, oh, well, this is great. We're going to have some honey. It'd be amazing again to tart up these sucky burritos with something sweet, right? Um, and they follow the buzzing to their source and Roland notices, hey, something is wrong. And when they get a look at it, what they actually see instead of a healthy hive is that the bees are all muties. They are completely white. They're kind of flying around lazily in circles and running into each other. And their hive, instead of being, you know, hexagonal, uh, is just this big blob of holes, you know, <laughs> that is hanging there. And Roland's like, well, sorry, I got your hopes up. But if we eat that, we will die. I mean, no sane person would eat from that hive, right? I mean, <laughs> you look at that. As, as someone who was massively creeped out by uh, a very significant white thing in a film. Um, I So I, I had a history of being very, very terrified of the film E.T. Okay. Um, when I was like, I think I watched it first when I was like nine. Uh, and it absolutely just broke me. I, I couldn't deal with it. Um, and I kept watching it and it gets to the point where he's kind of laying down in a ditch and he's all white and gross. Uh, that, uh, yeah, thank you. Dehydrated and shit, yeah. And got, he, he looks like, like a, a a bag of worms from the get go. I've never liked ET. Yeah, ET. Sorry. Yeah, but they make him worse. Yeah, like a, like a bag of worms that's been drained of all the blood. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is this description of these bees put me in mind of how I felt looking at that disgusting white ET on the on the floor in a trench next to a highway, just kind of lying there, all ill and sickly and pale, and yeah. don't want to touch it. Yeah, well, I'm creeped out by bees anyway. Um, so the idea of these mutated ones creating sick poison honey, uh, there's just something fundamentally upsetting about it to me. You know, I have to imagine that this is probably what, um, they, when they talked about the honey being poison, this is probably what got the bear in the beginning of the book, right? Oh, if I shit. learned one thing from Winnie the Pooh, bears love honey. That's probably <laughs> what got him sick. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> hell. <laughs> the, the bear is over at the portal of the hair, and uh, he got yeah. stuck in the window uh, yeah. trying it to was, get his honey. It, it was e either that or that picnic basket or something, right? <laughs> the, the nuclear picnic basket. Oh, gosh. Uh, that is the cousin to the nuclear football. <laughs> yeah. Oh, bother, said Shardick. <laughs> <laughs> um, so aside from just being an effective piece of you know scene and subtle creeping horror this underlines a little bit of what happened here on uh, the world you know eddie presses rolling for more details and he says oh some call it the old war the great fire the cataclysm the great poisoning um but eddie makes a pretty good guess of what this actually was which was nuclear war or the you know it is the closest thing that he understands to what the old ones did to themselves in their world that would have left um you know even these small simple creatures so irrevocably harmed yeah i you know as far as we can tell i think eddie's got it pretty dead on there you know he's it's the the poisoned animals alone yeah uh says you know nuclear fallout i mean you know we we've all experienced the game fallout right with the horrible mutant creatures like that's yeah, yeah. just what i see these as being you know the <laughs> They're bloat, they're bloat flies, yeah. but white and fuzzy. Ugh. Yeah, they've seen these uh, fields of buffalo with two heads, you know? Which is slightly less mutated than other things, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're the ones that just have their insides born on the outside, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, lots of, uh, you know, 
we're going to see a lot of that at the end of this book, actually, because we are, you know, like this, this, <laughs> I was about to say this game, uh, this book is called the wastelands, you know, like it's, uh, it's, it's very much, very much in play. I love this line at the end of the section about the bees, um, put simply, uh, here's the quote. Uh, the, so they left the bees to their aimless shattered life in the grove of ancient trees. And there was no honey that night. And then, oh, those poor bees. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, going, going on about some kind of semblance of, uh, of life and activity. Um, and then in the middle of this section here, we get a small little advertisement for the next book where Eddie says, Hey, tell us your story from beginning to end. <laughs> I, I I noted that as well because all I could think is I'm surprised that Roland didn't say and Eddie you'll have to get that in your world in 1999 by Scribner for 1795. Wait a like, <laughs> it, it was that much of a plug. You, you you mean that I have to wait nine more years for this? <laughs> what are you talking about? That can't possibly be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's get to the bridge. Because uh, this is where uh, kind of the rising action begins for this, at least for the city of Lud itself, because we get this confirmation right away that this is not, a, you know, a new Rivendell. This is not a place where the wise elves are going to give them their dune buggy so they can trundle up to the base of the Dark Tower. No, um, they see, <laughs> even as, the, uh, as they approach... Uh, that the skyline has buildings that are fallen down out of it. They compare it to uh, like a, a jaw that is, uh, you know, that uh, has some teeth that are rotted out of it. They hear gunfire and explosions. And they have a second guess like, hey, uh, there, it's not too late to go around. And Jake, in his certainty from his premonition, says, yes, we cannot go around because we need Blaine's protection to get through the wastelands. He just knows it. Rowan kind of calls him out on that too. He's like, uh, "You don't know about a lot about Ka yet, little man. You just learned about Ka about two weeks ago." So, <laughs> you pompous piece of shit. Yeah, slow your roll, buddy. Roland, Roland, you use Ka for every answer to every single question. Hey, hey Roland, how many times have you died? <laughs> as many times as Ka wills. God damn it, Roland. <laughs> So anyway, <laughs> yeah, but they are, you know, being marched inexorably along the beam by their own duty, by their own ka. Um, and when they get up to close to the river, they actually see um, something that kind of both raises and dashes their hopes a little bit because they've heard so many bad things about Blaine, this monorail. Um, there's a little bit of like a like an uplift in their voice when they look into the river and see that it is uh that there is a train and they're like the track is broken and there is a blue train sticking out uh sticking out of the water yeah eddie's eddie seems i think it's eddie that sort of hints that he thinks that it might have jumped its rails coming back in and, and crash landed yeah yeah uh, and, and you know they're they're doing like some forensics on this, saying it must have happened on the de you know, on the deceleration on its way in because there's no way it would still be intact if it was you know the crash at full speed. I mean, it would look cool. <laughs> It'd be pretty badass. Paint it's that like on the side of my van. Flat train. <laughs> <laughs> but Jake says no. That's not that. You know that's not Blaine. There must be two of them. Well, one of them now uh, because Blaine is pink. The same dusty pink as the as the bubble gum that you get in training car or tra trade uh, baseball cards. There we go. Yeah, isn't he just a magical wizard boy? He is. 
that just knows things. He sees more than you and I see. Yeah, he's so valuable. <laughs> um, he's so valuable, but he's also a bit of a hindrance here. Everything kind of goes sideways because he cannot get rid of that fucking oi. Um, no, I'm not going to hold that against him. Always so cute. Uh, but they get to this bridge again. It has been to look like the uh, the George Washington Bridge, which is you know made of this kind of exposed grid work of boxes. Um, but they see that it is not good. I think the word you used for it last week or last time, Patty, was uh, knackered. Knackered. Yeah, that's a good English word for this. Knackered. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, the comparison on the support wires to overstretched guitar strings kind of puts my teeth on edge because you can hear them vibrate can't you yeah like as the as the wind passes over them and i I don't know why but i have like a little bit of a phobia for if i'm tuning my guitar up in the back of my mind even though i've been doing it for about mm, 10 years now i worry that oh just the low e string is going to snap and it's going to take my eye out (laughs) that's how i feel about lawn mowers and rocks I like I, I sh- I'll shield my eye when I walk past them. Like, yep. <laughs> not today, lawnmower. Oh man, maybe tomorrow, but not today. Whew. Man, you guys, you guys need to get brave. Right? Once when I was at university, <laughs> we we played uh, we invented a game called Danger Ball, where we <laughs> have you ever played Swing Ball? No, no. Okay, so Swing Ball is basically you've, it's like Tether Ball in America, where you've got the stick and you've got a string and you've got a ball on the end, and we've got like tennis rackets, so you kind of hit the tennis ball back and forward, and whoever gets oh. it to the top wins. Yeah, oh. it's like tetherball but smaller ball. So it's, it's we a smaller removed... ball and also faster because you're hitting it with a racket, so tensions. Yeah, it. yeah. You really got it. But what we did is we took away the pole part, but we kept the string and the ball. So we got rid of the pole <laughs> and we're just sort of playing tennis with the string and the ball. Turns out that string can whip. <laughs> <laughs> it's really I can't, fun. I, I can't believe that scared of white et Patty just called me out. <laughs> I think we, we we have all admitted to some pretty profound fears on this. Danger Ball is an amazing na- name for that game, uh, and I am I'm very We're such complex creatures, aren't we? I think so. I I, I think I want to see uh, I want to see video of that. So huh. <laughs> no string whipping around that could take out an eye, but a, a white thing. Ugh. Oh no! <laughs> uh, specifically, a white dry dying thing. Come on. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and so, to go for a shower. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, the uh, the bridge is kind of listing to one side because it has seen uh, better days in the past. You know, Rowan thinks that even though it has probably been neglected for about a thousand years at this point, most of the damage has been done in the past fifty. Um, because the things that they see are likely due to like trauma from attacks and explosions rather than just the inexorable march of time. There's like holes in it, isn't there? It's all listing and there's gaps in the road and there's only one piece of the road that's actually good, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Like the the only way that they can go is actually um, be on the uh, on the side path, right? Because that has it's it's like its own deck. He goes into a lot of uh, a lot of detail about the way this thing is constructed. Um, what's <laughs> what's worth saying is there's like five feet on either side that they can that they can go down, and that's because even if the uh, the the sidewalk is blown away, uh, they can walk on the support. Um, you know that that good old fashioned Lemurk foundry steel. <laughs> Um, but uh, somewhere around the middle of the bridge there's 20 feet where they will have to walk on the steel support wire Um, and this kind of puts you know like everybody's like well that's that's minorly inconvenient Um, Oi 
uh, probably is going to have a tough time doing this because he can't really, you know, walk on that because he's a tiny little guy and he'll be blown away. Uh, also, the wind is up and this thing is swaying. Uh, the biggest problem here is Eddie, who never knew that he was uh, afraid of heights up to this point. But <laughs> now uh, he is very much uh, kind of trying to urge himself not to lock up. And just like I that, heard... we're back to fear again. Yeah. <laughs> I I feel badly for Eddie here because I, I think because of certain heteronormative tropes, he couldn't do what he wanted, which is to ask Roland to put Susanna on the ground, put Eddie in his sling or her sling and carry Eddie across the bridge. I oh. would have had no shame. I'd be like, Roland, hey, <laughs> let me hop up. Yeah, let's uh, let's uh, get, autumn get, needs a ride. Yep, giddy up to Shane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that would be um that would definitely be a good way to do it. Although I, I I would have to worry that Roland would go into court mode uh that happens. Just and go upside Eddie's head. That would that would that would be the concern. Huh. Yeah. Um even more think, notable. Ed, what, oh, what Roland would do is get halfway across and then undo the straps, it would be a test. Mm, yeah. <laughs> throw Stand or fall. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the, the, the more notable thing is the person who probably has the most reason to be afraid of a rickety bridge is not afraid at all. That's right. Jake, uh, is buzzed by the, by the, uh, adrenaline, uh, that is flooded into a system by he's, he's way into the danger. He's got that. Uh, he's yeah. got that Jeff Bridges and fearless, uh, mojo. How does that work? Is it because, does he think like by averages because he's fallen off of one bridge? <laughs> Lightning won't strike so twice. Yeah, like I've done that now. Like I can tick that off the bucket list, and uh, I fell off a bridge and died already. So what? Well, it's not going to happen again, is it? <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm surprised. Um, you know, Jake was just born a little bit too early, or maybe he was born at the right time. Because I have to imagine he would go straight from this into that Cronenberg movie Crash. You know, where the people all got off on the car accidents. Oh yeah, yeah. That's, be... that's Jake's next grown-up step, right? Like, oh, I used to love running down those suspension bridges. <laughs> now it's time to get off in a car wreck. Uh, yeah, yeah, looking for uh, looking for some wounds. That's... Yeah, me, me and my buddy James Spader. <laughs> that is such well, a maybe that's movie. it because because he saw the crash train, he was like, "Yeah, I'm into that." <laughs> <laughs> but then he got if he was born too late, he would be confused and think it was the Brendan Fraser crash movie. Yeah, one day this is gonna be my deal. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, I can put an end to this. I have a, I, 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 I I'm a crash boy. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, this is kind of a tangled action scene, but I'll give the short summary and we can, we can expand on it. Um, so they're, they're, they're moving along in a line and Jake goes to cross and he forgot to pick up Oi. Oi ends up running out, uh, to him and the wind blows him off. Jake reaches down. Oi bites onto his hand. Jake is holding on kind of by his fingernails. Eddie gets over his fear, runs in and grabs him but is also thrown off balance by this. And it takes Roland carrying Suzanne on his back to come out and steady all of them. I mean, really Roland should have just carried them all across himself. Shouldn't he only one go? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what he's ended up doing. Um, I like as well. I think in, in the book, it seems like Jake sort of dives for Roy as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> just stood on this, just dives. Like, I mean, there's, there's getting over your fear and then there's, running jumping and hurdling over your fear yeah um eddie uh is is has so little concern for himself that he will he, he runs out there and in order to drop down in time to catch jake he just his feet fall out from under him and he he uh wangs himself in the balls 
on the uh, on the support wire. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh oh no. <laughs> yep. Chief fucking oh, vasectomy is what he says. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Well, I did like the way it was like he he just like runs barely even holds onto the support like on the on the side does he? He just kind of sprints over, jumps down, and grabs just in time. And like everyone's just doing such a good job of being a bit hurt but totally okay. Eddie <laughs> Eddie's balls. Uh, Jake's hand is getting just munched to pieces by Oi, right. which is, again, go on, Jake. <laughs> go on, my son. And Jake had a backpack. He could have put Oi in the backpack. Oh, yeah, he could have totoed that. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. No, lack of foresight. Lack of foresight. Sat him in the wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Eddie's carrying the wheelchair. Yeah, there's room for a bumbler. They're not big. They're like badger size, aren't they? You could sit him in the top. Yeah, yeah. Put him on your shoulder, you know? Mm. <laughs> or in a bag or in a shirt or anywhere except that yeah. he can run by himself yeah well you know little kids they forget things <laughs> i love you boy i love you for your flaws <laughs> but yeah like this is a close one um jake is having a good dog dangling afternoon uh worry that Oi is not going to let go of his hand <laughs> being too afraid um and as roland is wiping the blood off of uh Oi's mouth our good friend uh, our friend and yours, and kind of the main villain fixture for this portion of the chapter. There's somebody bigger later on, um, but here he is now, our friend Gasher, who is kind of described as being dressed like a pretty, uh, like a pretty flamboyant pirate. Not, not flamboyant. I, I, yeah, the, Pirates of the Caribbean is the one note I've written about Gasher. Like, he just <laughs> seems like a, a crusty one of them. You know, in the first film, when they're all a little bit, a little bit merman. Yeah. And they're like crunchy and they've got kind of like scabs on their faces and they're all sort of CP and ugh. Yeah. Ugh. That's Gasher. Yeah. But with a yellow scarf. <laughs> yep. Yellow scarf, green pants, eye patch uh, with, with, with yellow goo running out from beneath it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he just seems like, uh, like they describe him as like a, is it a grinning pirate? Yeah, pretty yeah, much. A, a, a grinning pirate who just like, just smiling with, I, I imagine like three teeth. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Look at the uh, look at the episode art for this uh, for, for for this episode, uh, listeners, and you will see a picture of him. He had, like there's a there's a pretty good drawing of him in the uh, uh, in one of the original editions of the book. Oh, see now I want to be in the future so I can see it. Damn. <laughs> um, but I love the, I really like the way he talks. They describe him as having an accent so thick his sense of words is almost lost. <laughs> <laughs> It, it's um it, it was a uh so again I, I i prepared for this partly by listening to the audiobook and frank muller his interpretation of that uh really leans into the inscrutability um to the point where uh, i was listening to like one part of it when i was in the shower because i listened to podcasts and audiobooks pretty much all the time when i'm at home alone um and uh i i couldn't make out what was going on over the sound of the water like i had to go out rewind a chapter or a section and then listen to it like intently well i mean you've probably i mean you, you've actually probably substituted in uh a good bit of sort of 4d there because it's quite windy on the bridge you wouldn't Ooh. be able to hear him anyway yeah <laughs> so in fact i think your original listen is probably the better listen <laughs> what the fuck is this guy saying yeah we, just like, just like every a, other a really bad voice acting job on like Charles Dickens Bleak House or something, you know, just like the worst Cockney like, yeah. parody. <laughs> and it's it's kind of strange. I don't I don't know why everybody 
on this side of the wasteland has that kind of faux degenerated English kind of accent or affect to it. But like when we when you get over to the to the other side, you get to people who sound more like Mainers, right? Like people who are from you know around where Stephen King lives. So it's just it like it is this extra sense of how of how far gone these people are that you can barely understand what they're saying. God, these pubes and grays, huh? Yeah, uh, <laughs> barbarians. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> there's something that makes Gasher extra scary. Um, aside from, you know, the fact that he's here, you know, he's here to take Jake, which is, which is the, you know, the, the, the demand that he's making, uh, which is the fact that he is, um, ill. In fact, he's probably going to die from a disease that Roland calls either whores blossoms or mandris. Uh, you know, the, these are these sores that you see all over his face. Um, it, I think that it probably is like meant to evoke like late stage syphilis is, yes. uh, is, is, is what it's intended to be. Um, but the idea being because he's going to die soon anyway, um, all the rules go out the window. Uh, and there's a, like the little, a little excerpt here. Uh, when you were facing the dead, however, everything changed. And so when you have Gasher walking up, holding on to a grenade saying, Hey, uh, if you shoot me, um, or if I die, I drop this and it blows up, taking all of us with us. Um, it, it, it shows that like, this is going to be tougher to deal with because as gunslingers, he doesn't care. <laughs> like he just doesn't care about anything. You know, we've touched on this before, but I mean, Roland really is willing. And to be fair, he has seen Jake come back once, but he really treats him like he's got infinite Mortys like in Rick and Morty. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. Sure. Take this Morty uh, gasher, whatever. <laughs> hey, I'll save you little bro. Or I'll get a new one of you from another world. You know, <laughs> I've seen that applied to Batman and Robins. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was a comic on, I think, Saturday Morning Breakfast here, which is Batman and Robin in a situation like, hmm, one of these pills is poison, but which one? And the next panel's like, but how are we going to get down this slope? We don't have a sled. There have been 4,000 Robins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Gasher is sent here. Um, he, you know, he, he wants Jake. Um, uh, he wants to take Jake uh, to the TikTok man who is the leader of the Greys, right? Uh, remember, the Greys are the ones who made the big final raid on the city and are now more entrenched. These were, were once the raiders who were outside, the pubes being the uh, the people who were once younger, um, uh, who were like the artisans who were more entrenched. We're going to see more of them later on, but what you need to know, TikTok Man uh, is going to figure pretty heavily into this. Just to... Uh, just to show how vile Gasher is, and this is one of those things I was like, do I want to bring this up, um, or do I do we just highlight it and let that be? Um, Susanna says, "Hey, go fuck yourself." After he asks uh, for 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 Jake, Ryan Gasher says, yeah. "Oh, well, why not? Give me a chunk of mirror, and I'll rip it right off and stick it right in. Why not? For all the good it's doing me these days, why I can't even run water through it without without it burns me all the way to the top of my gully wash." So. Um, he takes the insult and says, well, okay, yep, sure. Let me cut it off. Let me put it up there. Um, yeah. Like, I get the feeling he would. Yeah. To prove a point. <laughs> he doesn't care. Yeah. It would even help him, he says. I like the little moment in there when Oi even calls him an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> even the Billy Bumbler thinks you're an asshole, bro. Oh, so vile. Yeah, um, and of course there has to be some weird little sexual angle to this. 
uh, you know, as he takes Jake uh, away, he does a uh, like a faux little hump on him and says, oh, use the wine that makes old men drunk. So not only is he looking, you know, are, are the greys looking to bring in, you know, fresh meat, you know, to bolster their ranks, um, the, the, they are going to use Jake for sex. And that is incredibly horrifying in a way that will probably make me put a warning at the front of this episode just in case. Yeah, it, it's not great, is it? No. Um, and then uh, the sort of spiraling out from that um, is then like the guilt that the party, because, yeah, you know, they, they give Jake over because they're all going to die if they don't, mm-hmm. um, is that the guilt that they all seem to feel for not seeing him earlier. Like Roland mm-hmm. says, you know, if he'd have been at the other end of the bridge, one shot, problem solved, you know, no problem over there. Because, you know, of the mistake that happened, because uh, he ran out and Eddie jumped out and everyone was kind of distracted um, because they weren't on their game. For, because right. you know later on you know they're, they're all kind of more on their game they're, they're gunslingers but because they've they've screwed up mm-hmm. you know they're, they're all feeling really really guilty yeah there, there's like, been they've a... only been a they've been a cartet for about a week <laughs> there's probably a uh, like a, like a level of um i don't know naivete or complacency to it because you know aside from the gunfire that they heard they had no reason to believe that there would be an imminent threat that came out for them maybe you know, like I, I might even say, you know, go far, go so far as to say that they were being way too optimistic. That like, if, if they maybe they thought that they wouldn't get any more problems until they got further in, or something along those lines, right? Mm, like you, you assume that the the conflict would take up everyone's attention, and that yeah. there's been no, like even the 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 river crossing people say there's not really been any activity for years. You know, there's not, yeah. no, no no one coming in or out for ages. So you'd you'd assume they'd have stopped watching the bridge, but. It shows what you know. Always, always post lookouts. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and uh, always, put, always put that dog in a bag. <laughs> this, this is a, a really great day for Gasher, though. Like he got to oh, keep yeah. his grenade. He got a live boy, like a brand new boy. Yeah. I mean, he's this is probably the best day in his short life, like, or his, his short continuing on, life. He got one over on a gunslinger. Yeah, <laughs> great day. <laughs> mm. Gasher did a good job. <laughs> yeah. Um, and to your point, Autumn, you know, it seems like Roland gave Jake up pretty easy and Eddie even gives him some heat for that. Like, hey, why would you <laughs> like, what the fuck are you thinking? You sent him to his death. And the reality is that, like, they had no other option. Like, everything would have ended if they held there. At least now they have a chance to go after him. I was going to say this is a terrible thing to say, but have you guys watched the Venture Brothers? It reminded me of when the Monarch sold uh, Dean Venture to King Gorilla for a pack of smokes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then was like, "Oh wait, I need him. That's Dean Venture. I need to get him back." <laughs> I'm due for a Venture Brothers rewatch. <laughs> yeah, for a pack of smokes. <laughs> Just trading him like currency. Yeah. Um, so at this point, um, they split up because. You know, Oya's already run off after them. You know, Gasher is, you know, taking them away. Um, Roland says, you know, even though you think you would be doing everybody a favor by coming with me, no, actually, go find Blaine and just fire, fire bullets wildly into the air. How far we have come from the beach, um, <laughs> so we can come, so we can come find you. Um, and the rest of the chapter is uh, portrayed kind of in this interlude fashion. They jump back and forth between the three different kind of parties. I have um, taken this and put it into, uh, I basically untangled it uh, to, to present them directly. That way we are not uh, similarly jumping back and forth. Um, 
the does that sound like a good course of action to you guys yeah. yeah that's great i mean in in the book though i i do like the way they they thread it like this because it's this this is the point where it starts getting just relentless yes just stuff kicks off and just to get slightly ahead of myself uh, once again i got to the end of the assigned section and mm-hmm. i'm like just want to read a bit more oh yeah well i intentionally chose the uh the cutoff point to be um to be very uh suspenseful damn so. you cole ross <laughs> i mean everybody can keep on reading <laughs> <laughs> um but yes so let, let's follow jake and gasher here um at the start so you know as jake is being led away he sees all these um cars along the road um you know as they're being led up the river he thinks hey this is what the east river drive would look like uh two or three hundred years after some weird brain plague killed all the sane people in the world i love the idea Can of a brain plague yeah <laughs> Could you could you elucid, like uh, just just fill me in on what East River Drive is because that's a reference that is completely lost on me. It's um the river. Um, I don't know specifically what part of Manhattan, like north south wise. Um, it is the uh, um kind of like riverfront road that has. It's over by the um I think by the UN building uh, where Manhattan okay. kind of looks over the East River to Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so to, just to <laughs> pull over, is it the place where the ending of Metal Gear Solid Two takes place? No, the ending of Metal Gear Solid Two, um, and I only know this because I just played this. That I is know. down. <laughs> that, that is down closer to uh, to Battery Park uh, or oh, okay. uh, Wall, Wall Street. Uh, it's Federal Hall is where oh, okay. is, is where that is. It's it's a street. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> we tried. Yeah. No, no, the George Washington Bridge is definitely. I mean, that's that's what uh, Snake jumps off at the, jumps off of at the beginning of that game. Damn right. Yeah. That's a, that's a really cool scene. Uh, I have to edit that episode still. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, I uh, sees that. Also, up along this road, we see more remnants of our own world uh, present here. There are cars that he doesn't recognize that look like basically Jetson mobiles. Um, but there are other ones, VW Beetles, um, Chevy Corvairs, and also Ford Model A's. So just a real um, mix and match smattering of a bunch of different eras. <laughs> I was just sitting here thinking about how what cracks me up about this scene is how spry Gasher is. Like he's <laughs> like he's he's dragging Jake, but I mean, he's like in my head like if Usain Bolt from Jamaica, the one with like twenty some on gold Olympic medals, Fast like had syphilis, yeah. really like late stage syphilis. Like, come on, man. <laughs> oh no, I, I got syphilis, but keep up. Come on. <laughs> well. There's a there's a really good line that I that that I kind of skipped over. I think I made a note made a note of it. Uh, in describing Gasher, he could he, he could be thirty, forty, or sixty, just because of how degraded his his whole physical state is. So it is very surprising that like you know little kids can run a lot. You know they're like they tend to be they tend to be uh, pretty uh, pretty fast little dudes. You know notwithstanding the fact that Jake isn't really a willing participant in this, he gets winded so much faster than Gasher does. Um, <laughs> well, Gash is a survivor, isn't he? Like, yeah. he lives in this world. He probably has to run quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but I, I see this scene, you know, running. It's kind of, oh, God, here we go again. It's movie star running. It's Tom Cruise running. He's mm-hmm. just going and doesn't slow down, doesn't stop, doesn't get winded. He just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. Yeah. Go on, Gasher. You're a horrible <laughs> person, but good running. Well done. Yep. <laughs> you got that one thing right. You've had a, you've had a, you've had a good day, and you've done one you've done one thing right. Um, God, he's so I, I, disgusting sounding like like the vision i have him is like gangly arms and legs just sort of pumping and 
horrible knock knees and that horrible scarf flacking out behind him and sort of smacking Jake in the face. Well, <laughs> they, like, they even go so far as to say that like in his exertion with his blood up, his sores start weeping more. Yeah. yeah. Ugh. Mm. Ugh. Oh, he's got... Oh, Stephen King. He's <laughs> really good at just grossing me out in this yeah. chapter. I don't know about you guys, but... Just he writes. A, he writes a good pus. <laughs> <laughs> Can we sample that as a blurb for the next edition? Good pus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the place that uh, that Gasher takes Jake to, um, or I guess more accurately, through is kind of this winding maze of alleys that are completely rigged to be um, a booby trapped, uh, but b just these mazes and tangles of debris, like. There are whole sections that are just, like, newspaper. Um, there are whole sections that are, like, walls made of television and video monitor monitors. Um, with the idea being that they can throw a tail by coming into this because Gasher knows this, like, the back of his hands. Um, you know, all pockmarked and sore ridden as they are. Whereas Roland, um, you know, <laughs> notwithstanding the fact that he is an expert tracker, uh, would have, you know, it would take him hours to get, to, you know, to successfully navigate this. I think it really speaks to how like little that the conflict reaches these outside areas because like some of the traps that are described like really complicated. <laughs> like there's a fountain that's stuck up in the air with this, these little razor wire uh, triggers holding it up, and mm-hmm. there's is it a couple of tanks is the first one or something like some just big machines yeah uh, positioned <laughs> over the road ready to fall. It's like okay, it takes a lot of work to get that up there and probably a lot of work to balance it. I just one misstep <laughs> how long have these been here yeah uh they have to be very uh probably very carefully maintained i love how blasé he is about that too because when they get to the first uh tripwire trap um gasher says uh like maybe there's a city bus balanced up there i can't i can't remember yeah <laughs> 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 There, there is one thing that I really liked in this, too. It's just one line where they were talking about how Gasher is driving Jake forward, like tapping on his shoulders like a farmer would a mule, mm-hmm. which is kind of foreshadowing for something we'll see later in Wolves of the Cala. Like mm-hmm. he's just running him like a mule, just whipping yeah. him, sending him on and uh, like his little his boy mule. Yeah. <laughs> boy mule. Please don't say boy mule again. <laughs> <laughs> will not say it again as soon as i said it until, i was like that i gotta walk that back until book five in book five <laughs> it might it might be appropriate right now though yeah. that's too depressing um <laughs> but yeah it's uh it's it, it's no good and like he's leading jake along but also just like narrowly stopping him before he triggers these what dick <laughs> and you dick yeah. gasher you i mean he is a dick oh yeah but like he's running and running, and there's that dead stop as well. Like fingernails in the arms. That's the yeah. thing that gets me about this: this the fingernails digging into the arms. Like, ooh, no, that yeah. that sounds like that hurts. Oh, you know those fingernails haven't been anywhere near a file. <laughs> oh, imagine the pus. Ugh, I'd rather not. Especially <laughs> since, <laughs> especially since later later on, he threatens to rip out Jake's tongue, and he says, "Go ahead and bite down if you want. Uh, if you, you know." want to have the same sores and stuff that I've got. Cause ha ha, um, I am a horrible contagious monster and I don't care if I live or die and I will make you sick just by being around you. It's in my blood. Ugh, unclean. Where have I been? You don't know where I've been. Ugh. Of all the people. I mean, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want to touch it. 
you know, we could have gone in a whole different direction if they had just said, hey, man, you have a grenade, but we have Keflex, and I'm pretty sure penicillin will get you all squared away with your horse blossoms. <laughs> uh, might be too late for him, though. I think uh, syphilis isn't treatable in its third stage. Oh, is it not? No, no, I think you have to catch it early. By the, t- by the time you see it uh, in uh, uh, the sores, it's too late. Like, you're about to lose your nose, and you're going to be crazy. Okay, we're learning some facts today, some hard truths. Yeah. I think I, I think I heard that on Sawbones. Um, yeah, no. And then Gasher also has a, has the temerity to raid Jake's Jansport for sun chips. Pop Pop gets a treat. Yeah. Okay. Got any snackies? I love treats. Um, and he gets pissed <laughs> off when all that's in there is like sunglasses and arrowheads. What use is this to me? I wanted I, I wanted gushers. Gushers for Gasher. <laughs> gushers for Gasher. <laughs> <laughs> but this is important. <laughs> uh, my my favorite line in this whole section is when um, Jake is saying something and Gasher talks about how he's really sad and he's like, you know, I'm going to start crying. Mm-hmm. But when I start to cry, the only thing that gets me happy again is a little bit of slapping. And I would just love to say that to a little kid, like, oh, you're really making me sad. And the only thing that's going to make me feel better is some slapping. Just, just, like, say, just saying it real uh, real calm, like as a negotiation. Yeah. Ra- <laughs> raising my little slapping hand in the air, like, oh. uh, I know you're eight, but I got to feel better. <laughs> oh, Time geez. for some slapping. It'd be a good way to mess with that kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot about that line. Uh. And then we also we have uh, we, we have we have Spanker uh, who we see later on. Man, Lud is so great. I like Lud a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I would hate to go there, but I like reading about it. Um, around this point, uh, hearing the drums makes Gasher drop the uh, the backpack, and they proceed on. There's another trap here uh, where there are two pressure plates, um, one of which would have brought the, uh, the this gigantic fountain down, this gigantic marble fountain, and Jake. You know, who throughout all of this has kind of been descending into despair. You know, he's just in shock. He's out of breath, losing blood. His hand hurts. You know, he's separated from his friends, has no idea they're going to get him. Like, Jake is in a really bad way. Uh, He considers even stepping on that and bringing the entire mess down around him so that Gasher will die. But his conclusion is, no, Gasher is going to die anyway. We need, um, we definitely need to uh, take more people out. This would be a wasted death. So that is what gets him to go on. Again, just go on, Jake. <laughs> you grew up so fast. Well done. Yeah. They call you a boy, but you're a man inside. That. Mm. Mm, big little Let's move on. Big little man. Big little man. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like um, a reverse Tom Hanks in big. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, that would actually, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that somebody hasn't made like the modern day adaptation which is about like a uh, like a like a thirty something year old uh, millennial who wishes that he could be uh, c- could have the uh, the the promise of youth back, and he goes to a he goes to a carnival machine and he, he becomes a, a a man in a kid's body, and call it could call it call it small. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, we got we, we got to understand like TM TM. He has to understand what fidget spinners are for. <laughs> I don't understand what the is... fuck those are. Why is everybody selling them? Why are they yeah, a dollar? He's in, the, he's in the playground. He's throwing it, and people are looking at him like, "What are you doing?" Like, yeah, the frisbee, right? Throw them. Are you wearing heelys? Yeah, of course they're cool. <laughs> uh, doesn't even have any gushers for Gasher. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> uh, they get where they're ultimately headed for, which is this manhole, uh, which again was made by uh, by Le Merc Foundry. And Gasher says, hey, you know, doesn't matter that you're not talking to me. We've got um, TikTok man who has a way of making people talk. But it's not like strangely enough, it's not um, said threateningly. It's not like a whole, oh, we have our ways kind of thing. It's like he's just got a way about him that, you know, people people just keep on talking until we hit them when they're around him. Um, they paint a really good picture of TikTok man, and I wish that there was more of him. Yeah, I'm I, at this point in my first read, I was already just like scared. <laughs> Someone's going to die. <laughs> he yeah. sounds terrible. Ugh, TikTok man, also a very good name for a villain. Um, mm. But as they go down this manhole, um, Jake hears an explosion and falling rubble back the way they came and loses hope because he believes that Roland tripped the trap and, you know, thinks that in reality, yeah, nobody's going to come for him. Like, this is it. That's, you know, we're done. Mm. Worth well, well, just before that as well, um, not, not to snipe you there, um, the, the manhole, like, again, we get just another shot of just Jake just being just a little bit cool. <laughs> when he's like, open the manhole, and he tries, but not as much as he could have tried. Mm-hmm. But Gasher totally knows. It's like, no, no, do it properly. <laughs> yep. He knows he's slow walking it, and I think that's where he yeah. tries to rip out the tongue. He's doing a go slow. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Yeah, that's where the tongue bit is. Yeah, he's, he's on. He's on a go slow, and again, it's like, go on, Jake, just just a little bit of defiance, just just hinder him enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, when the when the explosion goes off, you know, Jake genuinely believes that Roland has found one of the traps. Yeah, and it's all over. Yeah. That scene is also how you know that Jake really is a grown-up little child because he starts to have lower back pain when he's trying to shift that thing. And oh, I mean, oh, his, his sciatica acts up. It's about to rain. Exactly. The first time you complain about your back, that's the moment that you become old. Yeah. I can't remember if that pops, it pops up later on. I'm a little bit behind in my prep. <laughs> I noticed that too. Oh God! If only he, if only he knew. Twenty years later, man, it's gonna it's gonna start popping off. It's gonna suck. so let's swipe over to eddie and Susanna as they figure out hey we've seen a gray he sucks maybe the pubes are a little bit better spoiler no (laughs) no it all sucks (laughs) it all sucks nothing matters um rhymes with crud I I bet they were thinking on the front end that they got the good job. Like, oh, yeah, you go after the syphilitic pedophile and I will just go to a train station. Yeah. See yeah. you later, Roland. No, buy a, buy, buy a copy of the Times, kick back, maybe make a couple of calls, answer some emails. Yeah. <laughs> no, not the case. Um, it doesn't dawn on them right away. They're like, oh, that statue's knocked over. And they look up and they does, oh, those the speaker poles, those light poles. Well, they're just pretty much festooned with corpses, aren't they? Thousands and thousands of them dangling. Some of them mummified, some of them fresh with flies. Um, oops. Do you think Stephen King has actually seen a dead body before? Because I tried Googling the smell that he says that the corpses are giving off, the dry cinnamony smell. He talks in the stand about cordwood. There's the whole stand by me thing. Do you think he's actually seen a dead body, like as research? Because... Again, when you Google it, that's the only place that this cinnamon smell that he describes comes up is in references to Stephen King. I've heard mummies described as smelling like spices, like actual like bona fide mummies. I don't know about like a dried corpse that is mummified, you know, in open air wood without that without that treatment. Um, 
it's it seems like you know he didn't he doesn't mention it on writing or anything but like it seems like he would have you know gone to a body farm or you know gone to like a university and looked at it um god how would you pitch that you just walk up and you're like, dog i need to smell your <laughs> your, your your corpse room please i need yeah. to get it in my nose yeah. Maybe at this I'm, point when you say I'm Stephen King, they're like, whatever you want, sir. Yeah. You're, you're American <laughs> royalty. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, or, uh, and this is probably the more likely uh, scenario, he probably got it wrong in one book and got a flood of people writing in to correct him. And that was all the uh, research that he ever needed to do. That's fair. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hate to be so was, cynical, but I, I imagine that might be the case. Authors. That's a really good idea for aspiring authors. You know, write a burner book. Yeah. Just get a load of details you're not sure about. Just put that book out. Yeah. Let people correct you. And then you've got some a codex to work with for the rest of your writing life. <laughs> yeah. Who needs to just go to the library or smell a, smell a body? Just just write a really bad book and just yeah. use the corrections for the rest of your life. That's clever. <laughs> well, you have to do it under a pseudonym so you don't, uh, so you don't poison your, uh, your main well, you know? The new book from Stephen Queen. <laughs> the Return of Richard Bachman. <laughs> exactly. Rich does about to say Richard Bachman was um, his corpse-smelling uh, alter, alter ego. <laughs> this is where he tried out all of his false notions about corpses. <laughs> <laughs> that gypsy diet plan didn't work like I thought. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I like some of the Richard Bachman books. I think they're really good. Um <laughs> <laughs> but yes, they're talking about uh, the you know the, the smell for this. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole quote, but Eddie is re, re, you know kind of kind of revolt rev, uh, revulsed. He has revulsion at this, not because they smell disgusting, but actually because it reminds him of you know the smell of cinnamon toast as a kid. And I'm... I used to like cinnamon toast as a kid. And... <laughs> I, what is it with this chapter? It's just, yeah, it's just, just digging up and mining it. Um, I was listening to this uh, on my way into work this morning, and I was I, I was late, so I was uh, I, I was hungry. Um, I I totally got hungry for cinnamon toast listening to this part <laughs> of it. <laughs> but were you then appropriately disgusted with yourself? I mean, yeah, but I I mean. It didn't rise above the normal level of disgust that I have, just in general. Um, well, they they warmed you up with Gasher talking about all those treaties. Mm, yeah, <laughs> the way you said that made it sound like he was just like really enthusiastic about agreements between two uh, two <laughs> two groups. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but as they're going on and seeing just this horrifying nightmare vision of these bodies. I imagine not so much crucified because they say there are thousands of them just kind of like hung up for storage or display, um, you know, by the by, by the score along these things. Susanna has another one of her visions like she did back in River Crossing, looking back to what this place was like in its heyday or at least, you know, before they got here and realizes, oh, you know, she understands a lot about what this used to be, about what Lud was like during the heyday, this uh you know, the speakers that the drums are playing through being more for wartime propaganda, you know, saying, oh, bring your gas masks. Uh, we have a, an air raid coming at such and such. Please report to Ration Center D, you know, things like that. And then even goes on to correctly surmise that, like, here recently, somebody put in a tape that they found and fucked with the balance until it was just the drums. And Eddie confirms that by hearing kind of the, the, the lower or muted other tracks of ZZ Top's Velcro Fly. You know, now they're closer to it. Mm. As someone who listens to a lot of his music with one earphone. Yep. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> it 
effects. Stupid stereo effects. Damn you, Beatles. What are you doing? <laughs> well, they mix their stuff in mono. Oh, you fuck. Know, I just actually do. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I, I suppose it's possible, if a little self-referential, that if there's Chevy Corsairs and cars and this is our world, maybe someone just put on the Radio Free Midworld like, opening music. Oh, shit. For the podcast. Oh, no. Did we make this happen? <laughs> oh, I feel so bad. Loop. We have so much yeah. blood on our hands. Yeah. <laughs> what you did. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but again, this is showing Susanna's kind of uh, touch abilities, right? Her shine. Um, at this point, the drums start again. And if this is something they were, they were hearing from multiple day, you know, multiple weeks worth of travel away, imagine how deafening it would be if you're standing beneath it. I think even later on, Roland says, I would go mad too if I had to listen to this multiple times every day. I mean, it's not that bad, is it? Oh, it's a it's a it's a fun song. I just think that um, having it played so loud, <laughs> true, it, it'd be yeah. like uh, you know they 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 use loud rock music to uh, to torture people. I mean, just it's a big city. Just go live over there instead. <laughs> but it's but it's so loud you can hear it for multiple weeks. Walk away. Just move. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. There's a train. Yeah. Uh, don't go. Don't go southeast though. That's gonna suck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So this starts up and all of a sudden uh, things start to get real and they see what the drums bring out in the citizens of blood, specifically the pubes, as they come upon a crowd that is laughing and applauding and kind of cheering. Um, and in Eddie's mind, he pictures this. It's like the audience of a Tony Orlando show. Um, but in reality, it's a public execution because guess what? It's time for the lottery. Do you win a prize? Uh, a couple. I mean, I, I mean, I assume some lead. That's fine. Strategically I mean, that's placed. Yeah, in this in this world, lead's probably useful. <laughs> yeah, protects uh, against the radiation. You know. <laughs> yep. I, I I hate to double down on a franchise that I mentioned earlier in the podcast, but when they talk about these guys and their little Lord Fauntleroy outfits, all I could think of is in the Venture Brothers with uh, Doctor Mrs. G- the girlfriend's uh, murderous oh, moppets. The moppets, yeah. The, yeah, with the little Cockney accents and the fancy little, um, again, little Lord Fauntleroy like caps and short oh, yeah, pants, the, 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 the ringlets and stuff. Hello, governor! Like just, <laughs> a, just the worst Cockney accent I can imagine. Uh, yeah, they gotta do spankers. Yeah, <laughs> twas his birthday. <laughs> How are we See, doing, I got, Patty? I got Salazar from Resident Evil Four. Oh shit! Yeah, Salazar would be really good too. Yeah. Because he looks gross <laughs> enough to fit as well. Oh, true. Yeah, because like you know, like out from the rubble, they got this little kid coming up. You know, being real, uh, be, you know, uh, being real happy. Like, oh, they're going to do spankers. That's what he says. And then you know, the little kid dressed up like little Lord, little Lord Fauntleroy. Uh, in reality, he's a he's a dwarf. And that's the term they use. I mean, a little, little person, whatever. Um, named Luster, who also has the horse blossom, and just like Gasher, is also holding a grenade. <laughs> Um, but it's comes... a good move it's worked for them in the past oh it's super effective um <laughs> everybody's got the same little diminutive on the end luster gasher spanker yeah it's like it's like um santa's reindeer or something you know <laughs> on gasher on spanker on luster on mod Bro- mod doesn't Bro- fit in yeah <laughs> I, I read his name wrong when i read luster i, I read it as like a lovely shine like oh uh, Lust, that's a pretty nice name and then now i'm reading it again it's like oh he just does lust on things right <laughs> lust. just a just a tiny horny lord fauntleroy lust boy Blech. 
Ooh. Yeah, that's where I got the horse blossoms. Um, but yeah, like he comes up to them saying, you know, trying to bring them into the crowd, uh, assuming they will be excited. And when he realizes he doesn't, he doesn't recognize them, all of a sudden pulls out the grenade. Susanna fires, and this is the per- the first person that she's shot. Um, and they're going to kill a bunch of people here. Um, and through the uh, through the smoke of the grenade that goes off because they shoot him at distance, comes this gigantic crowd of people, and they make a massacre of it. Mm. Although almost Eddie doesn't because he gets the gun stuck <laughs> in his pants. He should only well fight done. food. <laughs> he should exactly. Well, they, they 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 say like you know he's he's struggling with it, and Susanna's freaking out because again she's never she's never killed anybody up to this point, and uh, he has to rip his pants in order to get the Luger out, like he is the world's shittiest Superman. <laughs> Yeah, um, but like I mean, they could have he could have styled it out, you know, done it like like a stripper, maybe just kind of gone boom, just kind yeah. of flung the pants at them, and then they all start cheering, and then they're yeah. easy to shoot because they're excited. Yeah, well, this, this is why everybody needs to wear NBA warm up pants at all times. And he's even got the background drums, like with the ZZ Top stuff for the the backing stuff for the strip tees, oh, right? It's, it's his intro song, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, but uh, but this is. Uh, uh, a pretty big scene. It isn't until they shoot somebody who looks like Ronald McDonald that uh, the mob realizes that they are not just dealing with marauders or with greys. They are dealing with gunslingers. And then all of a sudden they go from being extras in a Mad Max film to kind of being um, people from River Crossing. You know, they cry pardon. They they bow. Uh, they're, you know, there they're, they're still this mark that gunslingers have left on the world. And they're kind of terrified because, you know, I mean, I'm presuming here maybe their day of reckoning has come. Hmm. They've come back and they're not happy with you. No. It, it's, sorry, oh, oh no, oh, oh dear. They've, they've realized what they've done. We've, Although, hang on, <laughs> he grazed the man who looked like a clown. Is that the Rudolph of this crap? Mm. He's got a red nose. Yeah, but... but... <laughs> this is like the, the Christmas um, movie for The Purge, right? This oh, like yeah. The Purge Christmas. <laughs> A very purge Christmas. Yes. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> but uh, this gets them to stop and they finally, okay, well, um, start talking and, you know, ask about what they want. This is where we get some details about at least pube society and why they're doing this. You know, it's confirmed that, yes, this is a lottery. You know, Spanker's name came up even though he was he, he was the leader. They, they specifically ask, like, hey, who's your leader? Well, we just killed him, and then you just killed anybody who would have succeeded him. So, <laughs> my favorite line no, it's here. you. <laughs> yep, this is your promotion. Um, um, one, one of my favorite lines here is, uh, uh, what was your name? I think this is Maud. Looks up and says, oh, you shouldn't have killed Winston, Mrs. Twas his birthday, so it was. <laughs> This society that apparently, you know, is like a death cult. They don't even um, value life at all. The idea of them celebrating a birthday or thinking that a birthday would be a cause for mercy uh, is uh, is pretty hilarious to me. (laughs) I mean, in a dark, bleak way, you know. But yeah. I mean, the the rate as well that these lotteries happen, like it's what, two or three a day, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. How long has this been going on? How many people were in Lud to sustain this level of corpse? And they're all still fighting, aren't they? Yeah. How is anyone left? <laughs> there must have been a lot of pubes. Yeah. 
That's like, if I... imagine, say it's been like, I don't know, maybe 30 years since they saw anyone. It seems like it's a Three corpses a day, that's 365 years a week. It's like 20,000 people. Yeah. I mean, if there's enough people there, fine, but <laughs> geez, guys. Yeah, you would think that some of them would have... Uh... Would have died from starvation, or you know, we we heard about the one was in like like Timmy Tugboat or whatever who left, like who went up river. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it 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 is kind of ludicrous that um, you know who knows if there you know if, if there are any of the original pubes left or if they are just like going out and raiding the countryside or taking anybody who is coming through. Like, how many of these people were Jakes twenty years ago? Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Oof. it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty fucked up. But um, oh, but now I've got Jake in a little Lord Fauntleroy outfit, and it's Susan. <laughs> <laughs> He's adorable. Oh, wow, look at him go! Yeah. <laughs> so the reason they're performing these executions, you know, doing these uh, doing these lotteries, is to stop the ghosts who live in the machines from reanimating the corpses of the dead. And boy, this is Lud rhymes with crud. We got lots of dead. We got them in spades. Um, and they're like, that makes no sense. There's no such thing as ghosts. Um, and they won't even believe Eddie when he says, hey, this is probably a lie that the greys have spread in order to, you know, get the pubes to take care of them, take care of themselves. Right. But they're vehement. Uh, they're insistent that, yes, there are ghosts. You haven't been around here. You haven't actually experienced the machines that rest below this city. Um. You know, they won't say if they've actually seen any of these zombies, but even the very idea of that, that somehow something about this city would make the dead get up and walk again um, is uh, is is pretty upsetting. Although giving the dead more corpses to use seems like a bad strategy. <laughs> well, they're flooding the fire. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're giving it loads of oxygen, so it burns itself out. Yeah. You, you know, here's more dead guys to stop the dead guys yeah. it'll work you throw a big we'll, log we'll clog on that up, fire goes out. we'll clog up the dead guy pile until the dead guys can't wake up anymore yeah. we'll just keep throwing dead guys on the pile and yeah it's too fine. overcrowded yeah you, you know what i was kind of wondering because they talk about how blaine when they asked to go see blaine as the worst ghost of all do you think that maybe it's not the corpses like that they're just these guys are so divorced from technology that they're sticking uh, knives and old toasters and then being like, ooh, a ghost got him, when they're really yeah. they're just being electrocuted or something. It's possible. I mean, they describe um, electricity as uh, blue fire, and they only recognize electricity as, like, the name it used to be called by. Like somebody starts a car or turns on a Walkman, and they're like, uh-oh, ghost, got to kill 10 of my friends. Yeah. What is it? Um, sufficiently advanced technology indistinguishable from magic? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I got this um, from the description here. Like, it's 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 all. I I, I kind of felt like it's all AIs, maybe that have all since died. Mm -hmm. I had this like the first one going through anyway. That it's yeah. Maybe like because um, it's quite. You've got these bubble Jetson cars, so <laughs> it's not a big leap to think maybe the cars can talk to them. Yeah. Um, and they say Blaine is the worst of all. You know, we're going to find out stuff about Blaine that supports supports what you're saying. That you know these <laughs> these are Blaine the ghosts that they're. The the worst ver version of Siri that exists, right? It's all the series that were left in town. Yep. <laughs> oh, no. Shitty Siri. <laughs> yeah. I, have to, I have to be very careful because if I say the name of my Amazon dingus, then my entire house will light up. I live in fear, guys. <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll alert the police and start transmitting this recording, right? And I don't want this recording to get out. Come on. Exactly. Madness. 
<laughs> so uh, the pubes are horrified that Eddie and Susanna want to go right into the nest of the very beast that they fear the most. Right. They tell a story of their friend who couldn't answer a question that Blaine asked. And so they burnt him up with blue fire. That's uh, it's 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 no joking matter. Uh, to them. And uh, Maud and Jeeves, I don't think Jeeves is his actual name, but he's dressed up like a butler. And so that's what Eddie calls him. Decide, OK, well, we're going to do this. And there's this kind of moment of kind of unexpected tenderness as Maud. Uh, who's this blonde woman uh, who has lost most of her hair uh, due to something that was like mange, you know, bends over and kisses uh, Winston, uh, you know, Winston's corpse and says, hey, I will meet you at the, you know, at the clearing at the, at the end of the path, kind of putting the lie to this idea that they had that the pubes and all the inhabitants of blood are so desensitized by their constant struggle that they cannot really um, experience anything strongly aside from bloodlust. Yeah, this was a strange bit. Yeah, for me, like this, this kind of just put a strange tint on the whole scene um, because they they seem to be tied up in this big death ghost cult mm-hmm. with the drums and the banging and the stop the ghosts from bringing back the dead people, and they seem to revel like in the fact that oh, it's Spanker's turn. Oh yeah, he's <laughs> gonna die. Brilliant! Like they seem really excited. But then yeah. when someone dies, but maybe it's because they've died, but not to stop the ghosts. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because he didn't get to stop. Okay, here we go. Yeah, maybe because he wasn't able to be tribute to the ghosts yeah. and wasn't able to die in an honorable fashion, sort of like maybe like Aztec sacrifice sort of thing or yeah. uh, like the the Vikings having to die in the field. Yeah, it wasn't a sensible uh, or useful death. It was a waste. Yeah. Yeah. You could have stopped five ghosts with this death. <laughs> they uh you know they, they they turn on their leader who knows if they would turn on each other because of that higher authority they definitely get pissed off at the greys or even worse even worse than the greys are out of towners because of course xenophobia plays in um but there's nothing to say that even among their own group as long as you are not from the outside or you are not you know designated by fate to go um that yes we do value each other's lives and we have to rely on each other outside of these you know, outside of the drums, outside of the drum-sanctioned killings. Oh, God, now you say local, I'm getting flashbacks to a show called... Do you ever see a show called The League of Gentlemen? It was on in the UK for uh, about 10 years ago. No, uh, is that related to the show. Alan Moore thing? Okay, no. Okay. No, it, it, no, no, not at all. Uh, it's <laughs> a terrifying... League of Ordinary Gentlemen. Yes. Oh, it, it's a terrifying show about a little village um, full of just horrifying, ugly, deformed strange people uh and two of them run a shop uh and god help you if you're not local hmm. this is a local shop for local people there's nothing for you here and like suddenly i'm just seeing all these parallels to these pubes yeah who are looking at these non-local people like who are you Ugh. what's all this shouting we'll have no trouble here <laughs> greeting stranger <laughs> Yeah. Ugh, that, that show was creepy as shit. Someone got buried in a garden with a tiny tube on top Ugh. so they could breathe and die in the garden. And that was the end of a comedy show. <laughs> oh, okay. I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to double check with you. This is meant to be a comedy. Is it like meant to, I'm about to take the piss, but I'm not going to do that because I'm not going to take is, your term. It is, it like, is it meant to make fun of like small town, like North, n- Northern England kind of like yeah. xenophobia stuff? The, the town's called Royston Vasey. Okay. Uh, and it's just, yeah, it, it's like that sort of xenophobia. Uh, it's full of like just bizarre, black, horrible pastiches of people. And they all look a little bit scabby, actually. Huh. Now I think of it. Oh. The League of Gentlemen. 
yeah, it's it's horrible. It's probably on Netflix, but it, it, it's horrible. But if, you, if you're interested in watching just terrible people in a terrible place, then why not give it a go? <laughs> yeah, I hadn't heard about this, but it sounds, sounds like it'd be a little bit my alley. Weird as shit. What? It's weird as shit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Sell, sell me more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they end up, you know, being led by Maud and by Jeeves to the cradle, uh, which itself is this gigantic square building that dwarfs many of the others. Uh, looks kind of like the Parthenon and is dec- decorated with statues of the guardian animals. Um, and the next chapter is going to show us <clears throat> what exactly is going on inside of that building with its blue fire. The final kind of sub party that we're going to go to is, you know, a little bit short. Again, these have, you know, all of this has been threaded through and peppered in um, uh, with the other stuff, but Roland um, and, and eventually Oi um, are hot on the trail of uh you know of jake you know roland actually gets to the trap alley you know spots always footprints and calls for him and always you know kind of not having any of it but he is just completely obsessed with going after jake um i'm sorry ache <laughs> um <laughs> and i love this because no matter what the setback no matter how you know terrible anything is no matter how much roland is you know saying to saying to Oi, like hey don't run ahead we'll all die Oi will obey but he is constantly shouting Jake's name. Kind of heartwarming, right? Such a good boy. That's a very good boy. Oi. Like, he, he is literally... <laughs> it. It, he is, like, the this sort of cements him has just a very, very, very good boy, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, you can already see the connection between the two. Like, he, he adores Jake in the way mm-hmm. that every dog, like, adores its owner. And if he hasn't seen Jake for five minutes, he's like, where's Jake? Yeah. And then Jake turns up and he's like, I've not seen you for a year. How are you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, Oi is great. Um, I- I've kind of gone back and forth on him in the past. I was pretty glowing about him last time. Uh, sometimes you you look at it and you think, oh, this is just meant to be, you know, incredibly kind of like cloying. You know, like, oh, this is the uh, this is the kid appeal kind of thing. But that's because I've not always been a dog person in the past. And I wouldn't consider myself fully one now. But like this is there. There is this heartwarming aspect to their relationship that i that, that even i uh made of stone as i am have a very very soft spot for and cole's heart grew three sizes that day <laughs> <laughs> and doctors were called in because that is a problem uh, <laughs> so i i would never pay two thousand dollars for a dog or something like that but i would certainly pay two thousand dollars for a billy bumbler we well, so versatile <laughs> and they talk. Yeah, it could be an. Who needs an answering machine? Um, also, <laughs> uh, who remembers what answering machines were? Um, so that was a certainly dumb. not the pubes. Nope. Um, they they don't even understand what tapes are. Um, yeah. So Oi, hey, ghosts. <laughs> yep, ghosts. It's all ghosts. Uh, Oi joins, and he's kind of following cautiously. Uh, he will get close to Jake, no problem. But he wants to keep Roland at a little bit arm's length. But they are together in this mission. And together they end up, you know, spotting these, um, spotting these traps. It's only because Gasher threw away Jake's backpack that he even spots uh, the the trip wires. You know, these really thin, like I think they're they're called like guitar strings or banjo strings. Um, you know, they're just, they're not like steel cables or anything. He spots it because hey, the drums start, and also Jake's backpack is there, so he starts paying more attention to it. So good job, Gasher. You could have you could have solved that, but you got hungry. You got hungry for a squeeze. It didn't you, Gasher? Um, Jan, Jansport saved the day again <laughs> with their quality, uh, with their quality, uh, high durability stitching. 
Jansport. <laughs> um, <laughs> Today's podcast sponsored by Jansport. <laughs> it's never too soon for back to school. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Bum your kids out by buy the by buying them a new backpack. Mom, it's fucking July. Yeah. May I suggest <laughs> navy blue? <laughs> um, this one has a cell phone pocket. Um, sit in my pants <laughs> on the <mom>. outside. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and Roland also spots the pressure plates again. He's saying like, "Oh, this is farcical." You know, who would have thought that I wouldn't have noticed this gigantic hanging fountain or these two conspicuous things on the ground? Um, the drum stop. He hears the gunfire in the distance. He missed the fight that Eddie and Susanna has, but this is the regular, you know, deliberate gunfire that makes him think, hey, Eddie and Susanna found the cradle. And he decides, well, let's throw everybody off the trail. Let's blow this joint intentionally. And that was the explosion and the bang that uh, that Jake heard off in the distance. I, I like how Roland seems really proud <clears throat> of Eddie and Susanna. Yeah. Uh, just like, like yep, yeah, that's them. They're fine. <laughs> okay, I can stop worrying. Yeah, they're okay. They're, they're shooting some people now. They're they're totally fine. Different different gun sounds. Yeah, they're both doing it. Yeah, this is fine. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, again, Roland, competence elemental, uh, <laughs> sees the trap by just looking up, which people don't do. No. People never look up. Yeah. If you want to hide something? Put it up. Yeah. Um, I've learned this at work because it's, it's stock take season again, and invariably we always forget. Like the we've got these little bunting things that we sell, and yeah. they're hung up from the ceiling. Every single time we yeah. do it, we forget them. And you look around, and think we've missed something. I know we've ah. Oh, yeah. Look up, everyone. Yeah. No one well, looks up. Well done, Roland. No, but when I when I worked in a store, it was really frustrating because we'd hang up these big signs that had all the information about the sales or whatever that were going on, um, and nobody would ever notice them. Maybe because people people don't read what you put up. It's not a judgment. It's just you know not a natural thing people do. And also, if it if it is above eye you know eye line, then uh, then nobody's going to see it. You're absolutely right. Just to extrapolate, I have an entire upstairs section at my shop, and no, people are like, oh, have you got an upstairs? There's twelve signs <laughs> and big stairs. <laughs> Next to the till. There are footstep decals on the floor leading to the stairs. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's a man at the bottom saying, hey, go up those stairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well. But, uh, you know, Roland is not going to be stopped by something as elementary as a, as a, as a drop trap. And he decides, hey, oi, it's going to be dark down there. Uh, I don't want to leash you. You're going to hate being leashed. But this has to happen if we're going to go get Jake ache and that's where this ends <laughs> so um kind of final concluding thoughts uh next time we're going to get to the remainder of this chapter um and then the final episode is going to be a big wrap-up uh with kind of the short coda uh that this um that this book has um in the uh the the riddle and wastelands chapter uh but i want to hear what the two of you uh kind of brought away from this portion of the chapter you know given that we have kind of left things at a cliffhanger intentionally. Um, Autumn. I, I love this section, uh, even more than I was expecting to when I signed up. You know, you don't tend to think of these things as compartmentalized. You think of the book as a whole. But this one was uh, terrifying, but so funny at the same time. I mean, Gasher's such a character. It, it, this is definitely the the black comedy section of the, the book. Yeah. And I, I loved it. Mm -hmm. uh, Patty. Yeah, uh, much the same. I, I didn't expect to enjoy this as much as I did on my reread. And 
again, like we said earlier, like I, I just wanted to carry on, but I thought, no, stop. <laughs> Collect your thoughts. Don't start talking about things that we're not talking about yet. Stop. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, I love the riddles at the start. I love the, uh, the, the, the plane they find that Jake <laughs> identifies as a Nazi fighter jet. Like, that's brilliant. Um, again, just keeps this shared world stuff going. And it's just nice to see the five of them interact as as a fivesome you know it's just nice to see them working together uh and then immediately getting split apart but <laughs> it, it's it's good to see the cartet becoming more competent like yeah. they're all picking it up off of rona even jake just being a completely fearless absolute dude even though he's in <laughs> well i say one of the worst things of his life his life has not been great for the last month or so um but you know just 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 trying to stop gasher and 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 just running across the bridge, absolutely fine. He's <laughs> so cool. Maybe that's the thesis for this half of the book, like this half of the chapter. Jake's cool. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, he's on the edge of breaking, but like at, a, at any point where he has the opportunity to make things end, you know, he decides that like, okay, I can feel this despair, but there is probably a more useful way to channel this. So like, it's Definitely. not that he doesn't feel it. It's that he doesn't, you know, uh, act on it in a useless way. And he's shown that in the past as well, you know, when he decided, you know what, I'm walking out of this um, classroom. I'm, no, not not today. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, and for me, it's it's all about Gasher. I love the, uh, the, the, you know, the bees portion of this. I think that is like a nice little piece of, you know, here's a buzzword, world building. Um, and it plays on my innate horror for, uh, for, for, for bees and such. But I think Gasher is a villain... Let's say not quite on the order of uh, of like of like a Norman from uh, from Rose Matter because that is something that is I mean like on a whole different scale. It's an entire book that is dedicated to the particular ways that he's fucked up and he's definitely more grounded. But just inventing a villain who has nothing to lose and therefore is completely unpredictable, I think is always going to is always going to work for me. Um, and just the level <laughs> the amount of depravity that he has on display makes him just like the highlight of this section. Um, maybe not the highlight of the book because this book has so many highlights. I'm having such a, such a good time. This is such a great ride, but I think Gasher right now gets the, uh, gets the honorable mention because he is, you know, this uh, representative, this whole kind of summary of what Lud is all about. You know, he is, he is Lud writ small, right? He's horrifying and brilliant at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we will uh, conclude Lud on uh, this next uh, this next portion of Bre uh, Bridgen City in about two weeks. I thank you so much for listening to this. Um, a reminder of what we're going to be covering in the uh, the off season between book three and book four. Uh, we're going to be talking about well uh, during that time the Dark Tower movie is going to be coming out. Also the uh, the movie for it uh, the new one is going to be coming out, and I want to talk about both of those. Um, and in addition to that, I also want to talk about the mist and about the stand. Uh, the stand is probably going to be two parts because that is a massive book. And even with our kind of zoomed out approach, um, we would need to dedicate more time to that um, just to uh, just to cover it. Um, and I, I admit I'm doing that mostly because I really love the stand. Um, and yeah, we're also talking about the mist because both of those have a uh, uh, bearing on wizard and glass that we're going to get to some people have also asked what, what are we covering after wizard and glass uh there's some like comics and also some uh like interstitial stuff like the uh 
um, oh gosh, the Little Sisters of Illyria that we want to cover there because it is about what happens between Wizard and uh, the Gunslinger. But uh, we are going to be doing um, The Wind Through the Keyhole uh, during that time between book four and five because that is when that takes place in the main story. Um, and it wouldn't make sense to finish up with book seven and then go back in time. So for anybody who's been asking that question, that is kind of our intention. I know I just laid out a lot of uh, details. I want to go and update the schedule as well. So people will know when that's happening. Uh, we've also, uh, revamped the Patreon. So if you want to get even earlier access to these episodes, go to patreon.com slash We're changing that from a day of early access to a week. So if you're impatient, um, as we often are, um, to get the next thing, well, that is a great way to hear these episodes before everybody else. Um, Autumn, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on the Duckfeed Slack uh, in the Radio Free Midworld channel. You can also find me on Twitter at, at Mrs. Greer. That's M-I-S-S-U-S, a Greer. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. It's a pro follow. <laughs> um, and Patty. Uh, you can find me at Gashes Gushes. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Paddy Stardust. And if you want to listen to my show uh, about Dark Souls, and we just did 15 goddamn hours of E3, um, Jeez, you can find that on at Twin Humanities. That's right. 15 <laughs> hours. I counted. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, wow. Uh, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cole Ross. That is K-O-L-E-R-O-S-S. And on other shows at DuckFeed.TV, a whole, uh, whole family of podcasts. Um, I think that's all the business, uh, mentioned some stuff at the start there. Uh, but most of all, uh, we would love to have you back next time and for, uh, the rest of the series. Um, and until then long days and pleasant nights. <laughs>